fight the foes we face, anger, resentment and hatred, extremism, lawlessness, violence, disease, joblessness and hopelessness. With unity, we can do great things, important things. We can right wrongs. We can put people to work in good jobs. We can teach our children in safe schools. We can overcome the deadly virus. We can reward, reward work and rebuild the middle class and make health care secure for all. We can deliver racial justice and we can make America once again the leading force for good in the world. I know speaking of unity can sound to some like a foolish fantasy these days. I know the forces that divide us are deep and they are real. But I also know they are not new. Our history has been a constant struggle between the American ideal that we're all are created equal and the harsh, ugly reality that racism, nativism, fear, demonization have long torn us apart. The battle is perennial and victory is never assured. Through civil war, the Great Depression, World War, 9-11, through struggle, sacrifice, and setbacks, our better angels have always prevailed. In each of these moments, enough of us, enough of us have come together to carry all of us forward. And we can do that now. History, faith, and reason show the way, the way of unity. We can see each other, not as adversaries, but as neighbors. We can treat each other with dignity and respect. We can join forces, stop the shouting and lower the temperature. For without unity, there is no peace, only bitterness and fury, no progress, only exhausting outrage, no nation, only a state of chaos. This is our historic moment of crisis and challenge and unity is the path forward. And we must meet this moment as the United States of America. If we do that, I guarantee you we will not fail. We have never, ever, ever, ever failed in America. We've acted together. And so today, at this time, in this place, let's start afresh, all of us. Let's begin to listen to one another again hear one another, see one another, show respect to one another. Politics doesn't have to be a raging fire, destroying everything in its path. Every disagreement doesn't have to be a cause for total war. And we must reject the culture in which facts themselves are manipulated and even manufactured. Good morning. I just wanted to uh, play a little bit of Joe Biden's, President Joe Biden's inaugural speech and put a little emphasis on some of the things that he pointed to that were uh, and have been the subject of my podcast on miseducation. One of the main concepts of this speech is unity 
and um, the manipulation of facts. <laughs> and it's odd that he would say um, that we should get away from the manipulations of the manipulation of facts and uh, rewrite the story of America, even though he didn't actually say the story of America, but we could move forward by um, not manipulating the facts. And matter of fact, let me let me play that little end part again. Politics doesn't have to be a raging fire. You, you hear that? Politics does not have to be a raging fire that consumes everything, meaning politics is basically powerful or in government wise and governing wise and um, societal from a societal perspective, politics is the greatest of all science. Where do we hear that from early in my podcast? I told you about Aristotle and his Nicomachean ethics. And that is what Aristotle uh, philosophized years and years and years ago that politics is the greatest of all sciences because politics dictates what people learn, what people do, and how people are governed. Uh, but I'm going to keep going. Destroying everything in its path. Every disagreement doesn't have to be a cause for total war. And we must reject the culture in which facts themselves are manipulated. You see that? Reject the culture key point in that word culture reject the culture what culture is that white supremacy in which facts are manipulated whether you see the manipulation of facts in white supremacy and even manufacture manufacture that's when you take something and create use it to create something Manufacturing is actually creating something. You see the manipulation of facts in white supremacy. I'm sorry, people, but in the Bible. That gives rise and that gives people, white people, some white people, their idea that God has given them supreme authority or have made their race or their individual or people who look like them, their culture, superior to all other races. What President Biden is saying, we must reject the culture, white supremacist culture, that manufactures facts to make them think that they are greater or superior than any other race of people. President Biden has stepped out on a uh, on a ledge that many individuals in his position for years and centuries have refused to step out on. I'm sorry again, I, I must state the inevitable, the truth. Even President Obama would not reject openly, verbally, and state rejecting white supremacy. At least I never heard it. Um, don't get me wrong, because I know he does personally rejects it, but I'm saying to stand on the stage 
in a microphone in front of the world and verbally say it out of your mouth. It's essential to what um, many civil rights advocates and individuals has been trying to do for years to get a president to apologize for slavery. And many of them would not. Essentially, President Biden just did. We'll see how far that goes. But when it comes back and goes back to what I'm speaking about for black people, for minority people, for oppressed people, um, the idea is, is that we have been miseducated. We have not been educated to become great. We have been uh, unconsciously programmed to think less of ourselves by thinking less of where we come from, less of the individuals who gave us life, the, to, to think less of our role in society. This programming, this, um, how did President Biden say it? This manufacturing and manipulation of facts has caused us to react and to respond into society in very negative ways. It has enabled us to stay on the sideline why, while individuals who have, who, uh, while individuals of that culture that President Biden is telling us now that we must reject, have placed themselves in positions of political power to create and establish laws ordinances and guidelines which control our movement our upward mobility in society think about it we are not taught in an educational uh uh forum or an educational environment especially the public school arena um how to productively manage our finances. I mean, when it comes all the way down to $5, $10, $15, we weren't taught how to take that money and invest it in stocks. And we were not taught how uh, 401k plans work. Uh, we were not taught how to effectively secure life insurance policy, whether it's term life, whole life. I mean, come on, people, let's think about it. We were not taught to move upwardly into the class structure. And understandably so, because someone, some people have to do the work, but why does it have to be minorities? That's the question. That's the question that needs to be answered. And we don't need them to answer the question. We should be answering it ourselves. The mere fact that we are alive, that we are breathing, that we are living human beings dictate that there is a spirit of God that has given us power, that is giving us life. And if God has given us life and this God is giving us the power to live, then we have the ability to self-achieve only if we believe. But in order to believe, we must 
remove the programming. We must remove the manufactured and manipulated facts from that culture that teaches us that we come from the lesser people, the lesser race, that we come from, as Hegel put it, barbarians, uh, people that are unable to learn, that we come from savages, that we come from people who want to be enslaved. And if they were uh, uh, giving freedom, which they don't understand, that they would go back to slavery and enslaving themselves because that is their nature. Foolishness. Yes, that's what the philosopher Hegel philosophized that continue uh, or that allowed the transatlantic slave trade to continue on for a couple of hundred more years but away from that we have to remove that ideology later on in this podcast i'm gonna play well i'm actually gonna read a paper that i wrote that dealt with um my disagreement with the religious structure that enforced the idea that we were uh, a lesser people and that we came from lesser a lesser um, element and that we were ourselves less. But let's go back to the inaugural address because there's another important aspect that I want you all to hear. Who did? Many centuries ago, St. Augustine, a saint of my church, wrote that a people was a multitude defined by the common objects of their love. Defined by the common objects of their love. What are the common objects we as Americans love that define us as Americans? I think we know. Opportunity, security, liberty, dignity, respect, honor, and yes, the truth. Recent weeks and months have taught us a painful lesson. There is truth and there are lies. Lies told for power and for profit. And each of us has a duty and a responsibility as citizens, as Americans, and especially as leaders. Leaders who have pledged to honor our Constitution and protect our nation, to defend the truth and defeat the lies. Let's stop right there. I hope you all caught that. President Biden says that we all as Americans, we all share the same will basically and that we want the same thing. We want opportunity. We want dignity. We want respect and we want the truth. Is that not a page from Dr. Martin Luther King that that's all black people wanted opportunity dignity respect and be treated equally which is, is which is in essence the truth the truth is all we want as humans the truth is of God as 
the Bible says, because many of us go back to the Bible, but since that's where you go, that's where I have to go. I got to meet you at your crossroad. God is the truth. And he who worship God must worship God in spirit and in truth. If that be the case, how can we justify worshiping God from a manufactured truth? How can we worship God from a material or a uh, narrative that was manufactured and created with distorted facts to justify the culture? How can we stand as ministers and pastors and preachers and not preach and tell the truth? I've been pushing this agenda for, I don't know, eight or nine, 10, 12 years. Why do we not hold those with the knowledge, those with the ability those on the platform with the power to tell the truth so when we had a president such as trump who openly thanks to god thanks to the ancestors and thanks to the other deities who openly stood in front of us and reinforced lie after lie after lie in order to put emphasis later on anyway on the need for the truth many of us didn't see it happening many of us did not see God working and God moving the ancestors working and the ancestors moving to push this country and other countries towards the will and the want and the desire for the truth this is what was going on, people. Now we have a president who has openly stood in front of the world on his first day in office, in his inaugurable address, have stood openly and bold-facedly told and spoken the truth. The issue with America is white supremacy. The issue with America has been distorted and manufactured truth. Lies permeated the foundations and the founding of this country. It destroyed the ideal of America that we are all created with certain inalienable rights. We all have the right to liberty, the pursuit of justice and happiness. It is the truth that we have to get to. And the only way we're going to get to the truth, we got to go back and remove the lies. That's what I spoke about in, I think, podcast number two, when I stated about uh, um, um, Naeem Akbar, Know Thyself. In order for one to know thyself, you got to self-evaluate 
and in self-evaluating, you got to understand where you have been taught miseducation, where you have been provided a false identity, where you have been given and where you have accepted and internalized information that is simply not true. If you internalize something that is not true and it becomes true to you, then you are living a falsehood. How can you be who God created you to be when your idea of yourself is not the idea that God had for you? Think about it. We are not lesser beings. So why do we act less? We were not created inferior. So why do we do things that are inferior? It is because we have been educated we have been programmed to think that that is our natural cause, to think that that is our natural purpose. So that is what we achieve after. In our communities and in our areas, those are the things that people marvel around. I'm sorry, but it's the truth. When I was young, we idolized pimps. We idolized the drug dealers that had all the money, the flashy cars. You know, we idolized running around, having fun and going to clubs and partying. School was not an issue. College was not an issue. Out of the many that I graduated with, only, I don't know, maybe a handful went to college and took on professional careers. Because in our communities, the things that people marveled and was great was financial. It was a financial presence. You know, you was able to show that you had money. Money meant that you made it, regardless of who you stepped on and how you stepped on to get it. In the TV, on the TV screen, in the movie theaters, what did you have? Scarface. People marveled over Scarface. Then you had uh, uh, New Jack City. People marveled over New Jack City. Boys in the Hood. People marveled over that. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with rap, but then you have gangster rap and all the other things coming into, the, in, into play. And people, and we as a culture, we marveled over that. But at, at rappers like Public Enemy, uh, uh, X-Clan, and uh, uh, Boogie Down Production, and other rappers who rap positive, Special K, you know, Special Ed. We, we didn't gravitate to them. And when I say we, I'm speaking as a majority. See, the miseducation has been what has been holding us back. Hopefully, now we have a president that is pushing for the truth. He is pushing for a, um, a reevaluation of our ideas. He is pushing for unity. And he says 
that history, faith, and unity is what will move us forward. How is that? We got to go back and look at our history to understand where we come from, whose we are, and where we need to go. We got to reevaluate our faith to understand that minorities, black people, black and brown people are not distant from God and that God is not white. God is no color as far as that goes. Jesus is not white. Jesus also is colorless. Jesus was a Palestinian Jew. If you're going to use the region of the land or the name given to that region of that land today, he would be he would have been a Palestinian Jew. But he loved all people. And he did from what I read and what I have been able to read and study, he did not identify himself with any land other than being a child of God, which puts emphasis on all humans being of God. Therefore, Jesus said, if you are a human, you are my brother or you are my sister because we all come from God. We are one people. As they says in uh, the uh, uh, oh, I can't even call it the American uh, I guess because I always sat down and wouldn't stand up and, and, and uh, uh, I wouldn't stand for it and, and pledge in school, the Pledge of Allegiance. You know, one nation under God. You know, it's one people under God. And one of the reasons why I wouldn't stand for it in school and I always got in trouble, they all, uh, they singled me out. So I guess essentially, like I was telling people in my, well, my family, my sister actually pointed it out when Colin Kaepernick took a knee. She was like, you were doing that in high school. I was like, yeah, I know. They would come and get me from the pet rally. They would look for me or hold me outside of the pet rallies at Gordon High School in Decatur. I couldn't go in. Or if I was in, they would look for me and pull me out. Or I initially started getting sent to the office because early in the morning, I think I was in my 10th or 11th grade year. I stopped standing for the Pledge of Allegiance to a flag. And I told my teacher I could not allege or align myself or form an allegiance with a country that has done all of the things that this country has done to our people, to my people. Slavery, Jim Crow. I said I can't pledge allegiance to that because the word allegiance means to align oneself with means that I support it and I don't support that. So I got sent to the office every morning. Then after they talked to my mother, Miss um, Shivers, who was our assistant principal, made a deal with me to where early, every morning I would not go to homeroom. I would report to her office. And I would have to sit in her office to, after they did the roll call and then I could go to class. Short story, but true story. This was 1983 to 84 to 85. But moving on forward from that, truth is the issue. So how do we 
as a people undo what we have always thought to be true. You know, that is, you know, again, the, what I would call the issue at hand. How do we undo what we always thought to be true? You know, um, you would have to actually sit down and first of all, accept that you are greater than what you always thought you were. You would also have to sit down and understand that what has happened happened because um, individuals in power didn't want your people to rise in power. And when I say individuals in power, I'm speaking about the church. And the re- and people say, oh, you can't say the church, the church. And the- oh, I can say it. In my... Um, quest to get my master's in divinity um, one of my professors Professor Christopher Thompson and he was a Caucasian he had the class my class to go to Emory um, School of Theology they had a museum exhibit of papers and documents and uh, a lot of um uh, artifacts that was brought over and they had on the exhibit from Africa from West Africa I took pictures of a lot but there was this one interesting letter that was written by a Bishop Crowther in that letter Bishop Crowther described what he saw as a child in his village he said that the um, slave traders would march people in chains out of the bush through his town in Lagos um, to the Catholic Church. There they would put them in chains at the uh, and he gave the name of the Catholic Church. I would have to go in my phone and try to pull it up to give you that name. But if you go on my Facebook page after I post this podcast and ask for the name, I will politely and and, and freely um, posted. But he said that they would march, the the people in the town would stand in a line and the women would be crying and the children would be crying as the slaves was marched through the town to the Catholic church where they was put in chains and bonds and led out onto the boat, the dinghy boats waiting in the harbor to go out onto the ship. What was significant about that is that it was done at the Catholic Church. They was bound and prepared to leave the land at the Catholic Church. And I told you about my experience when me and my wife went to Ghana and what was explained to us and taught to us. And we even took pictures in all of the slave castles that we went to and all of the forts that we went to where they held slaves from different countries, whether it was Dutch, Portuguese, English, Spanish, they all had a Catholic or a Christian church 
on the premises. So people will say, oh, no, 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 no. Well, I'm going to read this paper I wrote in, in my missiology class, again, with the Caucasian professor, Dr. Whitworth. All right. And it's my title of this paper was the impact of the Lausanne Covenant. Christian leaders from around the world met in July 1974 at a conference held in Lausanne, Switzerland to discuss various issues within the Christian faith, which was hindering the task of worldwide evangelism. Christian leaders such as Francois Schaeffer, Ralph Winter, John Scott, Billy Graham, and many others from 150 nations gathered to address this task. The result of this conference was the formulation of a covenant between members of the Church of Jesus Christ and God. The covenant, known as the Lausanne Covenant, was written primarily by John Stott, and it centered on 15 specific categories of Christian belief. The purpose of God, the authority and power of the Bible, the uniqueness and universality of Christ, the nature of evangelism, the Christian social responsibility, the church and evangelism, cooperation in evangelism, churches in evangelistic partnership, the urgency of evangelistic task, evangelism and culture, education and leadership, spiritual conflict, freedom and persecution, the power of the Holy Spirit, and finally, the return of Christ. The conference concluded with an entering into this covenant with God and each other to pray, to plan, and to work together for the evangelization of the world. My paper will address the impact of the Lausanne Covenant movement in contemporary mission. 15 categories listed within the context of the covenant are powerful life, political policy, social and economic foundations that have the ability to impact communities in a God-shifting way if they are applied with truth and without any prejudice or bias with regard to race, religion, sex, or national origin. The first category within the covenant addresses the purpose of God. It states that God has been calling out from among the world a people for God's self, which is identified in the Bible as God commanded Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go, which is itself a political statement. Moses, under the protection of God, took this message to Pharaoh, the government of Egypt, and liberated the Israelites by the power of God from slavery and oppression by the Egyptians. This is Exodus 3, 1 through 12. God then made a covenant with the Israelites to be their God if they would obey God's commandments. In the book of Romans, we learn that not all Israelites were actual 
actually Israelites by lineage. As Paul says, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but children of the promise are counted as seed. This is Romans nine, six through seven. Looking through this lens, God is calling for us to become God's people. God has given us a choice, which is presented through the use of the word if when God gave instructions on his requirements for one to become God's children. In order for individuals to become people of God, we must submit to God's will and obey God's commandment, Matthew 19, 6 through 22. Movements such as this can have a great impact on spreading and leading individuals separated from God back to God. If in fact, the movement educates the people with the truth regarding the Bible and its origin. If not, then the movement does little to attract those separated from God. The next category is the authority and power of the Bible being the only written word of God without error in all that it affirms and the only infallible rule of faith and practice. This category seems to deconstruct itself with the claim that the Bible is without error in all that it affirms and it being the only infallible rule of faith and practice. Within the Bible, scholars have found that the first five chapters of the Bible were written by four different sources at different time periods addressing different needs of the people at that time. This finding is termed the documentary hypothesis. According to the documentary hypothesis, the four contributing sources to the Pentateuch are the J source, the Yahweh Jehovah, 900 BC, the P source, the priestly source, 500 BCE, the E source, the Elohim, 800 BCE, and the D source, the Deuteronomist, 600 BCE. The first five chapters lay the foundation of the creation of the world, God establishing God's people, the laws of God's to the people. They introduce everything that subsequently make up the New Testament, where Christianity forms its origin. The, Law, the Lausanne movement declaration of the Bible being without error and infallible is clearly incorrect and fails to explain the truth behind the infallacies. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to God except by me. John 14, 6. So as Christian, those who follow the teachings of Jesus Christ, the church of Christ has a duty to teach the truth about the Bible in effort to educate the people and lead them correctly to God in truth. The Lausanne movement being created by members of the church of Christ has a duty to provide the truth to its members, the unreached people and its, and its holistic mission. The Lausanne movement rejects the idea that there is more than one gospel and one savior by which people can be delivered from a sinful life into one that is obedient to God. They view Jesus as God 
and man and confirms that Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. In the paragraph above, I address Jesus' statement regarding man coming to God except by Jesus. This verse is the supporting scripture used by the movement to substantiate their position. However, there are other disciplines of faith, Islam, Judaism, and Buddhism, for example, that do not see or teach Jesus as the way, the truth, or the life. Yet they carry the same teachings with respect to love and obedience to God. In the book of Jeremiah, God made a new covenant with the people of Israel. But this covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest says the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Even reflecting back further into old Testament scripture, we find the same idea to become a child of God. One must commit to obedience to God moving into the new Testament. Jesus preached the same theme in his gospel. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because the love of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Matthew 24, 10 through 13. I put emphasis on the word faith because it is obedience to God with the belief that in doing so, God will protect and take care of you. Jesus' ministry was an example how people should act and interact with one another. It was a demonstration for all on how to move from a mental state of oppression into one of liberty and self-respect in knowing that you, being obedient and submissive to God, have not the worries of this world but the promise of a better life in God. This promise hinges off your committance of obedience to God. And that same obedience is exemplary in the life of Christ. The movement seeks to spread the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins through evangelizing which is converting or seeking to convert someone to Christianity. There has been a tremendous impact into societies and missions all over the world by the movement. Evidenced by the widespread growth in members, programs, and associations. This growth, this growth must not be depicted as success as success would imply a Christ-driven impact upon the world. Such an impact would produce more love, unity, justice, and charity, which is not evidenced in the racial hate exemplified in American society today. The gospel 
that Jesus delivered to the people had numerous themes, all of which were related to God and not himself. This is the gospel that seems to fall short within the movement because the movement seeks to combine God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit as one entity known as the triune God. The original Hebrew text does not reference or speak of a triune God. Nevertheless, the movement intentionally interprets and has rewritten new versions to support this theory as factual. When asked, Jesus advised that the greatest commandment was to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Mark 12, 28 through 30. This entails all aspect of being. It is the sacrifice that Jesus made in withdrawing from worldly desires unto those of God. Jesus being a man full of the spirit of God, loved God so much that he denied his earthly desires for the will of God. He dedicated and gave his life to the purpose of God and understood that God never included an entity, being, or spirit associated with God's authority. The effect of teaching individuals that Jesus died for your sins basically excuses or provides a mental relief from being held accountable to God for wrongdoing and thus creates the repeated cycle of sinful behavior accustomed with more prayer for forgiveness. The second commandment Jesus gave was to love thy neighbor as thyself. Category number five in the Lausanne Covenant was drafted from this command by Jesus. This section affirms that God is the creator and judge of all people, and we therefore should share his concern for justice and reconciliation throughout human society, liberating men and women from every kind of oppression. However, the Lausanne movement appeared to have been silent during the days of Jim Crow here in the U.S. and to the racial inequalities and injustice enacted upon African Americans and minorities. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. addressed this form of silence in his letter from the Birmingham jail when he said, we will have to repent not merely for the vitriolic, the, the vitriolic words and actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. Dietrich Bonhoeffer similarly stated, silence in the face of evil itself, it, I'm sorry, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. The greatest atrocity known to this world was the transatlantic slave trade. Over 10 million of African males and females were brutally taken from their families in native land, forced to live as slaves in a foreign land. It was estimated that more than 4 million failed to survive the exodus. Not only that, the Native Americans that dwelled in America were brutally slaughtered as their land was taken from them. 
In each instance, the white or Caucasian race was the culprit behind these mass killings and atrocities, carrying a Bible as justification for their acts. They acted out of evil context, whereby the scriptures in the Bible was used to warrant their behavior. Old Testament, you know what? Yeah. Old Testament scriptures were transformed to be directed to the Africans as being their reason for their traumatic departure from a life of freedom into slavery. The law of God in Exodus regarding slavery was used as justification for the American terror on stolen Africans. And I got to pause right here and go back to podcast number one, where I asked the question, why would African-Americans associate or, or go out of the way to make themselves be the children of Israel when the biblical description of the people when they came out of Egypt were people of terror and horror, killing, raping, murdering, and pillaging peaceful people that was living in the land under the authority that God told them and gave them the authority to do so. But let's go back to my paper. Although the movement remained silent before, during, and after, it affirms under category five, although reconciliation with other people is not reconciliation with God, nor is social action evangelism nor is political liberation salvation. Nevertheless, we affirm that evangelism and sociopolitical involvement are both part of our Christian duty, for both are necessary expressions of our doctrines of God and man, our love for our neighbor and our obedience to Jesus Christ. The message of salvation implies a message of judgment upon every form of alienation, oppression, and discrimination. And we should not be afraid to denounce evil and injustice wherever they exist. This is John Stott in the Lausanne Covenant, the first International Congress on World Evangelism, July 1974, page number two back to the paper yet the movement is not denouncing or attacking the systemic oppression here in America. One would think that an organization as big as this one and its association here in America, the inequalities, oppression and systematic injustice to the poor in America would be a main point in the movement itself. Nevertheless, we fail to see any strikes, marches, campaigning, or public outcry of any form by the Lausanne movement on behalf of the oppressed Americans. Instead, we see more attempts to evangelize through television evangelists instead of adherence to the directives set forth within this category. Category five, theologian, James Cone identified four possible reasons to support this omittance from white theology. Number one, 
whites do not talk about racism because they do not have to. Number two, white theologians avoid racial dialogue because talk about white supremacy arouses deep feelings of guilt. Number three, whites avoid talking with African-Americans about race because whites fear enraging black people's rage. Number four, whites do not say much about racial justice because they are not prepared for a radical redistribution of wealth and power. Confronting these realities give theologians an opportunity to develop anti-racist theologies that go beyond simply condemning racism because they engage the histories, cultures, and theologies of people of color. That came from James Cone Theology's Great Sin, Silence in the Face of White Supremacy, New York, 2004, page number one. Cone realized that the Christian church or any church, as far as it matters, that takes on the addressing of American racism, slavery and social injustice will have to address the truth behind the identity of the people in the Bible with respect to race, color, sex and national origin. This would unravel the greatest lie known to man and disrupt societies all around the world. Likewise, so does the Lausanne movement understand this. The last sentence in Category 5 states, the salvation we claim should be transforming us in the totality of our personal and social responsibility. Faith without works is dead. One must ask, why is the Lausanne movement not centered or focused on spreading the truth behind the scriptures? Why is the movement not focused on disrupting the lies behind the true identity of Jesus and the people of the Bible? Why is the Lausanne movement not practicing the directives it has established to enforce in attempt to achieve its goal of world evangelism? I think the answer to these questions are self-evident. While the Lausanne movement has grown globally and is widely accepted throughout different countries and demographics, it has yet it has yet to have a drastic impact on spreading the truth about biblical scripture. The contents of its covenant with God expressly oblige the movement to address forms and systemic and systematic oppression wherever it is practiced but there have been little to no effort to eradicate racism and systematic oppression here in america the movement has been virtually silent to the current and past issues such as african-american incarceration black social and economic disparities the black lives matter movement and biased public education system. While these issues are pressing and need urgent attention, the Lausanne movement remains silent on these agendas. Remaining silent has directly impacted the Lausanne movement progress on missions throughout the world. The purpose of the Lausanne movement came from an awareness that evangelization of the world was necessary to bring about the awareness of Christ 
and to gain or transform as many unreached people groups into the kingdom of Christ. Christianity is one of the largest, if not the largest form of religion practice here in America. Many of the individuals here who do who don't ascribe or believe but don't practice do so because they are disassociated or disconnected to the Bible and God due to falsehoods about the identity of Christ and the people of the Bible. They view the Bible as being untrue and rightly so. With the globalization of society, information is now accessible from anywhere in the world. The truth behind anything can be researched from practically anywhere at any time. People interested in God and Christ, especially people of color who has been taught for centuries that Jesus is a is Caucasian and he and God are one. Jesus was God in the flesh and other falsehoods have now begun to research and find truth about the race and identity of Jesus and are connecting to God within themselves. This forms an alienation with unreached people groups and the Lausanne movement, which still insist on ignoring their obligation to teach the truth about God and Jesus. The refusal to do so negatively impacts the Lausanne movement ability towards missions today. The scripture says God is truth and those who worship God must do so in spirit and in truth. How can proper worship to God be effectuated from a spiritual perspective when the theology and ideology behind the framework of the worship is created from falsehood and untrue rhetoric? It cannot at least not from the obedience to God found in scripture. In conclusion, the word of God as taught by the early prophets and later by Jesus Christ demands that we come before God in truth. To do so means we must first be taught the truth by those who are learned in biblical history and charged with teaching others about the Bible. To disclose factual information regarding the identity of the people in the Bible for purposes of oppression of similar or same race of people contradicts the entire meaning and authenticity of the Bible. The Lausanne movement has had a tremendous global growth, yet it has failed within its obligation to undo the injustice and intentional erroneous portrayal of biblical scripture. As such, according to Dr. Kings, James Cone, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and many other numerous scholars and theologians, it has become guilty in the eyes of God. In the words of Albert Einstein, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we use to create them. That's the end of the paper that I wrote about truth. See, I think President, President Biden understands the issue with the 
miseducation in America. I think he understands the significance of how the lies and the well, how the lies formed the ideologies that created the culture. The culture that causes this disruption of unity. A culture that causes one group of people to think and to formulate systems and uh, legislations that causes a disparate condition and economic uh, uh, um, biases from one group of people towards another group of people. It creates unfair opportunities. It creates a lack of dignity and a lack of respect from one group of people towards another group of people. It also causes, you know, a a um, separation, so to speak, within within a societal concept to where people are able to see what we call in uh, Christian studies the Imago Dei, the Spirit of God that is in all human beings because we have basically separated ourselves into racial constructs, into class constructs, into this red and blue where we 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 basically fight on ideologies. You know, I I stand for this, I stand for that. It's okay to disagree because that's human. It's no way possible that God could be so diverse and so infinite that everybody would be expected to think and to see things through the same perspective. Nevertheless, seeing things and thinking about things through the same perspective can never eliminate the idea that we are all human. And if we are all human and all humans came from God, then we are all of God. And if we are all of God and God is love, then we should love one another. We should be doing things to help promote one another. If something is good for you, it should also be good for me. If you have an opportunity and I desire to have that same opportunity, it should be allowed. As long as these desires and these thoughts are not causing hurt, harm, or danger to another human or to the environment. Because the environment, nature, sustains the lives of humans. Re-education starts from the truth that was the basis and the foundation of President Biden's inaugural speech his inaugural speech said history, faith unity 
is what can change the course of America. His inaugural address says that all Americans want the same thing, opportunity to be treated with dignity and respect, and we all want to be told the truth. We don't want to be lied to. We don't want to be educated falsely. We do not want to be, uh, when a person look at me, because my skin is different from their skin and color, that I am denied the opportunity for a job that I may be overqualified for, or I'm denied a loan for a house or for a business that I'm denied the opportunity to, or, or rather when I find a home that I, or a community that I want to live in. And when I move into the community, others see me moving in and they move out with the idea that, Oh, you know, we all want to be treated equal. We all want to be treated with respect. And this miseducation that has caused so many African Americans to become incarcerated has to be addressed. Because see, people say, well, why you say, you know, the miseducation caused people to be incarcerated? Well, think about it. We go back to Pavlov. You know, if 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 you create a uh, 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 an environment that teaches negativity, that enforces negativity, that produces situations that are negative, which in which 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 from a, a statistic wise will statistically cause a person to make a negative decision. Then eventually, um, those negative forces or those negative decisions or those negative situations and those negative uh, actions will produce negative thoughts, negative will, uh, a negative uh, evaluation or, in, or internalization of self and if that idea or thought or internalization is negative then you can only see negative responses coming from it but if you produce one with positive then you got to see and got to expect a positive outcome I think another individual I'm going to look that up for the next podcast and I'm about to sign off right here but I think that was an individual that did a a study where they raised um, with, with some dolls I can't pull it all together but I think um, that was something about a black kid with white dolls and a black kid with black dolls and the black kid called the black doll ugly all of the negative things and gravitated and wanted the white dolls and that proved that the education that had been given to that black child 
saw that child saw blackness or brownness and associated with all of the negative aspects, ugly, uh, uh, evil, uh, dirty, nasty, all of that. But the white doll she saw as being beautiful, clean, and desired. Didn't see herself in the black and brown doll. This is what I'm saying. When you push a person and you educate a person and you create an environment, whether it's through books, TV, all of the above, then you have to expect negative responses to the stimuli. This is science. This is philosophy. This is psychology. And in essence, it's theology. This is politics. As Aristotle said, the greatest of all sciences. Because it controls everything. I'm signing off at that point, And I want everyone to remember. These words is not meant and are not intended to hurt, to harm any race of people or anyone because those who have been educated that they are greater or better than anyone else has just as has been just as miseducated as those who have been educated that they are lesser these words are desired as president biden says president biden says to bring forth unity with an understanding that we are all from the same God we are all loved by the same God we have the spirit of God in us that gives us life and if that be true and if that is the case then we are all one with God and as such we should love one another we should treat one another with dignity and respect and we should gravitate to the truth to help uplift and empower one another. Peace and blessings.